I've never thought of myself as a person of deep faith or one for whom faith comes easily. Even as a child, I wondered about inconsistencies in the Bible stories, how some things just didn't seem to make sense. I'd ask myself, could that have really happened? Did angels really appear to people and deliver messages from God? Well, yes, they do, except they look more like uh, Charlie and It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) Did Jesus really heal people just by touching them or speaking to them? And then, of course, there's the real biggie, resurrection. How does Jesus get to be alive when he was dead? The adults with whom I shared these questions would brush them aside telling me that we just had to have faith. That was certainly helpful. (laughs) Though I have to say the Church of Scotland Sunday School probably didn't prepare my mother for these kinds of questions. (laughs) Perhaps our friends Abraham and Paul can help us out here and give us some insight into this mysterious thing called faith. God appears to Abraham when Abraham is 99 years old and, as Paul reminds us, as good as dead, to call him into covenant. God promises things that seem utterly impossible, not just an heir, but numerous descendants. Even nations will come forth from this childless couple. In this covenant, God does all the promising. Abraham has only to be faithful. There is that little matter of circumcision, but that, that, that's not mentioned in today's text and doesn't come until later. Now Abraham has only to be faithful and to trust God's promises, a promise that even to Abraham seemed utterly impossible of fulfillment. Abraham and Sarah are called into a new relationship with God, and they are called to new possibilities. But to do that, they have to risk trusting God's extravagant promises. They have to be open to those new possibilities and new relationships. They have to give up planning to move to a retirement community and start thinking about playgroups and preschool. So what does this story mean for us? What does it have to say to us about the life of faith? Well, it is first and foremost a text of transformation. The barren become fruitful. The abandoned become cared for. The displaced persons have become the ancestors of a royal line. Those who have come into covenant, into relationship, those who are alone have come into covenant and into relationship. This story is a reminder that God is always calling us into a new future, no matter how impossible we may find it. All we have to do is trust the promises of God, which, like so many things in the Christian life, is easier said than done. More about that later. Paul recounts the Abraham story as part of his exposition of the basics of his understanding of the law, God's grace, justification, and righteousness. If Father David were here, he would say, if you think you only got about 10% of it, that's okay. 
<laughs> I often quoted that line. Paul explains at length about how God's promises to Abraham, those extravagant promises of children and land, were rooted not in some legal arrangement, but in faithful relationship. And in return, Abraham expressed his faithfulness, his trust and loyalty. The faith of which Paul speaks is trust in God's power to do what has been promised, even though it goes against much or even all that we find rational or sensible. Remembering that is now not about us. It's not about our effort, however strenuous that may be, but about God's grace and God's power. What we are asked to do is to trust in God's promises, incredible as they may seem. Christians are asked to trust in the God who gives life to the dead. This God who brought death to life in the womb of Sarah also brought Jesus to life from the dead. What Abraham was asked to believe was as incredible to the people of his time as was the, the preaching of Paul's missionary preaching to those who he was preaching to. The bottom line of so much of our human struggle with all this is the question of God. Not so much that is whether there is a God, but what kind of God there is. Is the one at the heart of the universe a reliable God, a God of compassion in whom we dare to trust? Or are we at the mercy of chance, left with no grounds for asking of life questions of meaning and purpose? Someone who worked with hospice once told me that of all the people they served, Christians were the ones most afraid to die. And this was confirmed in a conversation I had with a friend who worked as a hospital chaplain. She said that many Christians insist on treatment after treatment and won't make any end-of-life decisions, often because they are holding out for a miracle. If we only have enough faith, this will all go away. Everyone will be happy. No one I love will die. They engage not in hopeful thinking or faithful thinking, but magical thinking. Can we trust in God not just when things are good, when we are healthy and happy, but also in the dark places of life when sadness and sickness have worn us down and when we approach the ends of our lives? Kathleen Norris is a writer who makes her faith journey accessible to us through her writing. In her book, Amazing Grace, she explores the language of faith. In all her books, Norris reflects on her life and the lives of the people in her faith community. She was asked to be the pastor of this little Presbyterian church, a late pastor, when she wasn't even sure she believed in God. So <laughs> she does a lot of reflecting. But she also reflects on her town and the Great Plains. She lives at the edge of the Great Plains on the lives of her parents and grandparents and of her participation in the life of a Benedictine monastery, trying to see what faith means. She reminds us that Christian faith is not a goal or a product of consumption, but a process, a way of life that has both daily and lifelong challenges. She reminds us that the cells of our bodies are always changing renewing themselves every few days 
yet we remain recognizably ourselves. And she thinks faith works in the same way. She says, when we embrace the life of faith, we do not suddenly change in essence, magically becoming new people with all our faults left behind. What happens is more subtle, more revealing of God's great mercy. In the process of conversion, the detestable parts of ourselves do not vanish so much as become transformed. We can't run from who we are with our short tempers, our vanities, our sharp tongues, and our talents for self-delusion or despair. But we can convert in the root word meaning of the word to turn around so that we are faced to see ourselves as we really are. And then we can pray that God will take all of us, even our faults, and use them for good. Lent offers us an opportunity to grow in faith, not by signing on the dotted line that we believe certain intellectual propositions about God and Jesus, but to grow grow in trust in God's love for us. that God's promises were not just for Abraham and Sarah or for Paul, but they are for us too. The journey to grow in trust that God continues to call us to new life even when we feel like we're just as good as dead. The journey of land is a microcosm of the life of the Christian faith. It's about growth, it's about faith, but at its root it's about transformation. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to God from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Amen.